Belonging and well-being at PPG globally. According to Deloitte's 2021 Global Human Capital Trends Report, organizations need to focus on well-being beyond the standard quote-unquote work-life balance. In the global report, workers indicated that prioritizing well-being and integrating it in workplace transformation efforts as one of their top three concerns. As the world continues to move forward, despite the impact of COVID-19, rising inflation, social unrest, equity, diversity, inclusion, well-being, and belonging are critical now more than ever. In a talent-scarce market, workers are looking beyond compensation and seeking flexibility, authenticity, deeper connections to their beliefs, and a workplace that is equitable and inclusive for all. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host today, Audra Jenkins, joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Floss Agri. Today, we are speaking with Marvin Mendoza, who serves as a global head of diversity, equity, and inclusion for PPG. He joined the organization in November 2020 and is responsible for designing, leading, and executing the company's global DEI vision and strategy by leveraging data-driven insights to enhance the culture, inspire employees, and drive business performance. Prior to PPG, Marvin served as the Diversity Inclusion Chief Operating Officer PricewaterhouseCoopers, or PwC, where he drove the development and execution of a firm-wide DNI vision, strategy, and roadmap. Marvin holds a bachelor's degree in international business administration from the College of New Jersey. Welcome, Benvenido Marvin. Thank you so much, Audra Floss. I am thrilled to be with you both today. We are so excited, Marvin. Oh my gosh, we really appreciate your time. Shall we just jump right in? Yes, that sounds great. Awesome. So the first question, Marvin, you are in an honored and privileged position at PPG Industries to impact the lives of roughly 50,000 employees worldwide. When you wake up each day, what drives your passion to keep pressing forward on this DEI journey? Great question to start with, Audra. So first, you know, as my husband knows very well, I need a very strong cup of coffee first thing in the morning to make any difference in anything at all. So that's the first thing. But <laughs> in terms of what really drives me internally, you know, for me, fairness, which I think now has been the phrase equity kind of sums up fairness, I think, in a new way. Fairness has always been a core part of my values. When I see people who are treated differently, that's something that really affects me. And I remember seeing this for the first time as a child. I saw my parents who are from South America. My mother is from Colombia. My father is from Peru. They came to this country when they were about 18 years old. I saw them treated differently sometimes because they had a Spanish accent. And that confused me as a child. And later in life, it drove me really to do what I can to make the world a more equitable place. To sum it up, and I think a lot of folks in the DE&I field can relate to this, it's really for me about making a positive difference in people's lives. That is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Marvin. I think that's the story of so many people who immigrate to another country. They're treated as other and not always welcome. So thank you for sharing that. I think that you're right. Equity is about doing things, the right things at all times, not just when it's convenient. So I appreciate you sharing that. Sure thing. Going to our next question, switching gears a little bit. So Marvin, you were appointed in November, 2020. And as everyone knows, that's after the death of George Floyd in the United States. It was understandably just a fragile and pivotal moment when you started at PPG. How did you establish priorities while supporting leaders and employees who really needed help navigating through the overall trauma and residual impact from the outcries of social justice? It's a great question. 
So let me start with how we supported leaders. I think that's really important because leaders and managers are looked to by the employees to set the tone for their team and for the organization, depending on how high up a leader happens to be in an organization. So for leaders, the first thing that we did at my prior organization and actually at PPG, one of our leaders started this on his own, Tim Canavis. He's actually our incoming CEO starting January 1st. It's the concept of they may have been known or they may be known as candid conversations, and we call them listen and learn sessions at PPG. And the concept there is that leaders need to be vulnerable and speak to their employees to understand what their challenges may be regarding race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, really any dimension of diversity. Now, back in 2020, George Floyd's killing was the most prominent issue that we needed to handle and talk to our employees about. So back then, it took the form of having really candid discussions about the Black experience. And what that looked like was leaders, many of whom were pretty uncomfortable speaking about topics like race, to be very transparent and vulnerable. And we needed to coach them to say, the more vulnerable you are, the more connected you'll be to your employees. And it's okay to say, I'm going to start a conversation about the Black experience, and I have no idea what that is. I may say some things incorrectly. I'm going to ask for some grace, but I want to learn and I want to help create a culture where we can talk about these things much more openly. Now, that also benefited our employees. Of course, as you can imagine, they, as time went on, got more and more comfortable sharing about some of their experiences. And I remember hearing things like, in one company that I used to work with, a black female said, I was on assignment in a very predominantly white neighborhood for about a month. And every time I drove from my hotel to the client's site, I would worry that I'd be pulled over. And I got pulled over three times in a matter of months. And I think it was just because I happened to be a black female. When you hear those things, it's hard to deny that your colleague is going through something you may not be going through because you don't understand their experience, that their experience is not equitable, and it really builds empathy as a muscle. So we're continuing those at PPG. I think it's really important to have those really candid conversations to help leaders grow and get uncomfortable leading sessions like this and help create an environment where employees can share transparently about their experiences. Absolutely, Marvin. I agree with you 100% on that topic. We did the same thing at Ronstadt in the U.S. We had some very leadership roundtables, and we offered the leaders to, I'm really excited about our North American CEOs because they really rallied around the support of, let's talk about this. There's people that are dealing with trauma. We can't act like nothing has happened. And let's help the leaders to figure out how do they approach this? And we did leadership roundtables and we asked them to ask any question, you know, ask any question anonymously. And in our DE&I team, we answered every question. And I like to answer questions with facts and figures to not to be seeming as the answer is just my own perspective, but it's really backed up by data. And one of the data points I use is in the United States, one in three African-American male babies are expected to be incarcerated, according to the U.S. Sentencing Commission. 
as an example. So you have those negative statistics, you know, working against you and then translate that into the workplace. That becomes just a whole trifecta or microcosm of opportunities for microaggressions. It becomes a place where you don't feel safe. If you don't feel safe just in society, it's really hard to feel psychologically safe in the workplace. And I think having leaders to understand that perspective made them think or look at their diverse employees in a different light. Yeah, I completely agree, Audra. I love what you said around sharing data. I found that using data in the field of DE&I is a great equalizer. It speaks really well to folks at PPG, where we are a company whose top leaders are in the engineering field pretty highly. And also, it kind of takes some of the emotion out of a topic that can be very emotionally charged. The addition of employee stories, I've heard that stories connect the left brain and the right brain, and they're incredibly memorable for folks. That combination of data and stories I find to be incredibly powerful to speak to those folks who want to understand the facts. But then when you hear your colleagues sharing things that are pretty difficult, it tugs at the heartstrings a little bit and maybe impacts another part of the brain that can help you build some empathy. I love that, Marvin. It humanizes the topic, not just another thing, another initiative, another box to check, but it humanizes the experience of the employee. Exactly. So switching gears then, Marvin, again. Marvin, one of the things I truly admire about you is your energy and openness. You are by far, one of my favorite colleagues, I love to connect with you. And shh, don't tell anyone, that's between you and me <laughs> and our thousands of global listeners. But with that said, you know, one myth I hear quite often is that our global colleagues believe that DEI is a US issue only, and yet there is inequality, gender imbalance, and exclusion happening in every single country. How do you touch the heart and minds of people who don't believe that DEI is needed? Well, thank you for that compliment, Audra. I always enjoy connecting with you and bouncing ideas off of you. So it's a great question around touching the hearts and minds of people who don't think the E&I is needed. And I am not naive to think that everybody is on board. I think of back in my the early part of my career, I learned very basic stakeholder management skills. And what was taught to me was that people generally fall into one of three buckets regarding any kind of change initiative, which I truly believe DE&I is a change initiative that probably doesn't have an end. But people will fall into the buckets of either being opposed, being neutral, or being enthusiastic. Now, I can tell you from my times consulting with probably dozens, if not hundreds of companies on DE&I, and even at PPG, there will very rarely be a person that tells me to my face that they are not on board to DE&I. I am not naive to think that that is always true. In this day and age, I think those folks who say that they are not on board with DE&I realize that they're probably fighting a losing battle for a company that has it at their core values. So I think the trick is to understand where those pockets of resistance might be to weed them out using data if possible, and then to use, using stakeholder management skills, have some conversations with folks, either yourself or have somebody who is on board with DE&I and has some influence or has a strong connection with those individuals to talk to them. So I'll tell you a story to bring this to life. 
So I created a video. I create videos every now and then regarding our DE&I journey and impact. And our video made it to both our plant employees or our frontline employees, as well as our non-frontline employees. And I had a plant employee from our Huntsville, Alabama plant reach out to me, send me an email. And it was very transparent and courageous, which I really appreciated. And it essentially said, Marvin, I don't agree with DE&I. I think we really need to follow some concepts that I've learned over the years. And I took that as an opportunity to reach out to this gentleman and to get to know him and to understand his background. And where he came from was very interesting. He said, at my church, everybody is equal. And I shake hands with everybody as they come in and everybody as they leave, regardless of their gender, their race, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, et cetera. Why can't we just be more like our church? And what I did there was I shared some of our data with this gentleman to help him understand that there are disparities in the engagement of our employees, of our employees really in any organization in the U.S. or globally, based on gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. And this is something that's endemic. And I pulled data points from various companies, from various external sources, And he understood. Now, he didn't necessarily, I would say, get to that point of being enthusiastic, but I feel like I got him more to neutral, where he understood why we needed to focus on DE&I so that people can have an equitable experience. And I also understood where he was coming from. And I learned a bit about him and his background. And what was great was at the end of the conversation, I asked him if he'd be willing to be an outside perspective on new initiatives we roll out to DE&I to get a different point of view. I think it's really important to get the point of view of those who may be neutral or opposed to DE&I to test your thinking so you don't operate in a bit of an echo chamber. The last thing I'll say, you asked around DE&I potentially being seen as a US-only issue. The reality is that we believe that inclusion is for everybody, regardless of the country that you're in, the region, et cetera. Now, the issues may be different in every country, but inclusion is something we think everybody can get behind. I love that. Inclusion is where everybody can get behind. And Marvin, I love the fact that you took the time. That's one thing I admire about you is you take the time to truly connect with people and you meet them where they are. And that's really what great all DEI practitioners will tell you is the number one opportunities to meet people where they are, because really what people are believing and experiencing is a culmination of what they grew up with, their beliefs, their values, all that backpack full of stuff we all have, our biases. So many things make up who we are today as adults. And I think that meeting the person where they are, sharing your insights and explaining a little bit more at least he had the opportunity to look at it in a different light and perspective. Maybe he didn't change his views, but at least he could understand more about what you were trying to accomplish, what the organization is trying to accomplish with your DEI strategy. So kudos, Marvin. I wholeheartedly am excited about the way you handled that for sure. Thank you. Now I would like to pass it over to my co-host, Floss Agri. Thank you so much, Audra. And thanks again, Marvin. Marvin, I read your inaugural diversity, equity, and inclusion report. And by the way, congratulations. We, of course, at Ronside, we understand and respect the importance of data and making sure that we're transparent in those actions with our colleagues. I'll say what really jumped out or stood out to me was your overall theme that spoke to, to sort of that oneness, you plus me equals one PPG. 
which was evident throughout the report. How are you creating intentional actions around that statement to get people on board? Thanks, Floss. Maybe let me provide a little bit of context to that slogan of ours, which is you plus me equals one PPG. So first, I need to give credit to my team member, Amy Keller, for coming up with that slogan, which everybody on our team and in our communications team loves. What I love about that statement is first starting, I'm going to start with one PPG. That is an overall enterprise mantra that existed before I joined the organization, really around finding more synergies across the various aspects of our business and functions so that we could be more effective in reaching and having positive impact on our customer base. So we took that concept and realized that one PPG was a really good rallying cry focused on really inclusion. When you think about it, when you operate as one entity, one team versus individuals or silos, there's such a better opportunity to have positive impact. And to get to one PPG, it's not just those who are diverse. I think a lot of times DE&I efforts are seen as being focused just on those who are underrepresented. And it's not just those who are underrepresented. It's you plus me, regardless of how we see aspects of our diversity. Both of us together have a much better chance of having a positive impact on our clients and quite honestly, communities at large. So a little bit of background there. So to your question around intentional actions, to me, very tangibly, our employee resource networks, as we call them, they're known as ERGs or BRGs more generally, those are really the primary way that our people have to activate and get involved in our DEI journey. And specifically, when you think about you plus me, that's around allyship. Now, we have eight employee resource networks at PPG. And my message when I speak to our leaders and our employees is that you could arguably be an ally of one, if not multiple ERNs. Everybody could. And my ask and my challenge to everybody is to be an ally of at least one, if not multiple employee resource networks to understand the experiences of those who are different than you. Now, we also set a goal in our DE&I report that by 2025, at least 50% of our workforce should have participated in an employee resource network or have taken up the opportunity to take DE&I capability building opportunities including training. That means everybody, including our frontline and non-frontline employees. And I know that some of our SBU leaders are asking all of their employees to join an employee resource network, either as a member or as an ally, not just to help us reach that goal, but so that we can really live that you plus me equals one PPG rallying cry. Wow. Thank you for that, Marvin. I really appreciate it. What I find most interesting with that statement is that you're conveying that everybody has a purpose as part of this larger diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. And then with your organizational goal, you're giving them very specific, almost tangible things that they can do to be a part of that. And I say that because I've heard commentary where some people feel like if they don't necessarily fall within this particular demographic, they feel left out or not included. And that happens sometimes even from a global perspective. So thank you for that. I'm sure that that has resonated with the number of our listeners here today. 
Building off of that previous question, PPG, I mean, it operates in what, 58 countries? The complexity of a loan, when you think about that, I know, makes it extremely challenging and complex to launch not only global, but local approaches to diversity, equity, and inclusion. In your role, can you talk to us a little bit about what has been your biggest success throughout your evolving DE&I journey? We'll be at PPG. It'll be two years, actually, in just a week or so. And I joined in November 2020, so the middle of the pandemic. And I would say my biggest success to date, very tangibly, is getting a board of directors approved 2025 global DE&I strategy and vision approved within eight months of joining the company, having to work remotely, build a team. I had one team member, Amy Keller, who I mentioned for quite a while. And once my strategy was developed, figuring out the amount of effort needed to build and execute on it, and then building a team around it. It took a lot of late nights, weekends, et cetera. Now, I love this work, so it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time, quite honestly. But the organization was so ready when I joined. I would say that one of the reasons I joined PPG is that the energy and enthusiasm around DE&I was so palpable when I even just conducted and had interviews with the organization. It was like something I had very rarely seen in my 13 years or so focused on DE&I. I knew I needed to get a very tangible focused strategy approved quickly. And I'm really grateful that I had great team members, colleagues, and support from across the organization to get that across the finish line. Now, very tangibly, it's one thing to put together a strategy and it's another to achieve impact. So I'm really pleased that now, almost two years into our journey of DEI, we are on track to meet all of our very aspirational goals that we communicated in the DEI report both in terms of representation and headcount and in terms of driving a culture of belonging. I actually just met with our operating committee a few weeks ago to share that good news. And like I told them, that tells me our strategy is working. So it's not time to change it. It's time to continue focusing on the critical few things in our strategy. Now, on a more personal level, I'd say that the emails, the calls, the pings that I get from employees about how our efforts are changing lives signify potentially an even deeper level of success that I don't think can be quantified. So for instance, I've had black professionals, some with over 30 years of tenure at PBG, some who've just started and have been here three to six months, telling me that they're staying at the company partially or sometimes wholly because of our commitment and actions around DE&I. That tells me that the things that we're driving at our center of excellence level, there's five of us to impact 50,000 plus people, they're actually hitting the ground. Now, are they hitting the ground consistently? I'm sure they're not. But the fact that they're just hitting these people that have reached out, that's huge to me. That tells me that the work we're doing is making its way down the organization and is changing lives. That is fantastic. You said something that really resonated with me. And I just wanted to take a moment and congratulate you on that. It's no small feat to come in within eight months and deliver a plan, get approval from so many stakeholders, and and then look back and find that, hey, I'm successfully meeting that plan. And then also having sort of the 
the stakeholders, members of your workforce actually doing the work come back and say, hey, I'm feeling this in terms of my actual experiences. So congratulations and kudos to you. Thinking back to the the strategy piece that you mentioned you put together specifically relative to, to data, a big part of your DEI report is the data. How are you bringing in or or leveraging scorecards to build accountability and continue to drive results? I think data is the starting point, not just for DE&I, but for anything that's a business issue that needs some kind of solution. So our strategy starting point was the use of data. And a key tenant of our approach is to be data driven in everything we do. As I mentioned earlier, it's harder to argue with data points, especially when you have multiple data points. It's an equalizer and it's a really good starting point for discussions and action planning. And it also speaks to folks who might not understand what some consider maybe the fuzzier aspects of DE&I. It makes the issues and the opportunities really, really crystal clear. So while we were preparing for the launch of our board approved strategy, we worked with our HR data and analytics team to develop both CEO level and business unit and function level DE&I scorecards and heat maps that clearly showed how far off we were from achieving our 2025 commitments in that DE&I report. Now, what's really cool is our team actually put a predictive element into the scorecards to show based on trends, based on external factors, a number of data points, this is where we think you will end up in 2025. That allows us to have very detailed discussions with SBU and function leaders and with our CEO, who I meet with on a monthly basis, to identify the critical few SMART goals that they should take on for the following period to help change the numbers or change the trajectory. Now, I meet with our SBU and function leaders three times a year to go through the scorecard, show them where they are, identify those critical opportunities, identify about three SMART goals, and then I enable them, their HR team, and we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion ambassador, or basically somebody on the leadership team of each SBU and function who helps activate on those SMART goals for the next few months. Now, I think the simplicity and the relentless focus of our approach has really helped to drive those results we've achieved to date, which I mentioned earlier. I've been very, very targeted and I've told the teams, and it's been really hard when they've asked, hey, can we add this element to the scorecard? Can we have this slice? Can we have this additional dimension added? And I feel like, especially in the field of DE&I, it's easy to start focusing on a lot of things. And what I found is that by being really focused and relentless on that focus that you define up front, you have the opportunity to drive impact in those critical few areas with critical few kind of views of data. And at least to date, that's shown to be true. I agree. I think you have to make sure you start off well and get a strong foundation. And I think sometimes that's where we miss it in the space when we start engaging in in a multitude of other things and we end up not doing really one thing really, really well. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. My last question, Marvin, before I pass this back over to to Audra is about your employee resource networks. You spoke of them a little bit earlier, and I know you helped to establish several of them globally at PPG. Here at Ronstadt, we view these groups as more like champions or foot soldiers. 
how are you at PPG leveraging your employee resource networks to foster greater inclusion and well-being? Our ERNs at PPG are really the heart of our DE&I agenda. I'd say they're arguably the primary place where all of our employees can come together to share and to listen to some of the most vulnerable experiences of their colleagues. And I like this concept of building empathy as a muscle. That's something that I think we all can build, that everybody can build potentially related to an area of diversity that they just may not have had as much exposure to in their past. What's really interesting is that we've had a discussion as a DEI team and have said, especially during the pandemic and maybe now, our ERNs may potentially be the first and only place that some of our employees have been able to hear some of these very transparent, candid discussions about difficult topics and share from their perspective as well. I'm, as I mentioned earlier, the energy and enthusiasm around our DEI journey and specifically our employee resource networks, I'll be honest, it's like nothing I've seen before. Almost a third of our employees have already participated in at least one ERN event and about a quarter are members. And based on our research, we're already above benchmark. And we hit those numbers probably about eight months or so ago, which is incredible, I think, when you consider that our board approved strategy was launched just in July of 2021. So to me, that's really, really encouraging. Now, let me share with you a story about the impact because I think it, the numbers tell one part of the story, but the impact on employees is another aspect. So our Abilities First Employee Resource Network, which focuses on folks with different abilities or disabilities as they may be known in some organizations, they held a webcast focused on mental health, probably about a year after I joined PPG. And during this webcast, they brought in an expert who focused on aspects of mental health that have suffered during the pandemic, be it anxiety, depression, PTSD, and the like. And we had some of our employees, I think we had about three or four employees share their stories and their struggles with anxiety, depression, and the like. What I had heard was some of these employees had been very long tenured with PPG, 10, 20, 30 plus years, and they had never shared about this aspect of their life with any of their colleagues. It was really challenging for them to build up to the point and build the confidence to share. And when they did, I saw comments coming in on the webcast feed with people saying things like, I had no idea that this colleague who I've known for decades suffered with this you may have just saved a life by having this webcast and having these folks share, having some of these leaders share about their challenges. The comments were just so, not just, they weren't just heartwarming. They showed you the impact that people just sharing about their personal experiences had on them. And it's those experiences, those stories that drive our employees to want to host more ERN events that go even at a deeper level of vulnerability so that we can touch more lives. So I'm thrilled to hear and see where our employee resource networks will go to foster more inclusion and well-being in our company. Thank you so much, Marvin. I do think the key to inclusion is, of course, that vulnerability. And I'm excited and, and happy to see that happening. Next, I'll pass it back over to Audra. Audra? Thanks, Floss. Thanks, Marvin. Wonderful insights there. Really excited to hear about the mental health and well-being. That's such a critical part of 
inclusivity in our organization. Marvin, switching gears, we all know that DEI, well-being and belonging is not just one person's job. It's every person's responsibility in our respective organizations. What advice do you have for our DEI peers to help them stay the course and tie DEI to overall business strategy? I'd say, at least for me, my starting point is relationships. So to bring that to life, when I was interviewing with PPG for this role in late 2020, I viewed those interviews not just as an opportunity to evaluate PPG, for them to evaluate me for the job, but to start building a relationship with key leaders that I'd need to have on board to advance our DEI agenda. As I mentioned earlier, I need folks in the company, especially at the leadership level, to be either enthusiastic or at least neutral, not want to take us off course with our DEI agenda. Otherwise, we have no chance of being successful. So I spent a good amount of time up front building those relationships with leaders. And the model that I keep in the back of my head is one that folks in the DEI field may be familiar with. It's called familiarity, comfort, and trust. And it's a pyramid where familiarity is at the bottom, comfort is in the middle, and trust is at the top. And the theory there is that first you need to get familiar, get some experiences with somebody that are casual, be it a casual conversation about things outside of work, it could be a coffee date, et cetera. And as you get more and more comfortable with each other through shared experiences and you deliver on commitments, you get to the level of trust. I needed them to trust me so that I could in the future have difficult conversations with them and share very candid feedback with them if needed to help advance our DEI agenda. So for me, that continues to be critical. And I see my role is continuing to build relationships across the organization and down the organization so we get more and more people on board and we can tie DNI to the various business strategies and agendas we have across the organization. What I'd also say is tactically, that team of diversity, equity, and inclusion ambassadors that we built, so members of each global leadership team of every SBU and function, they've been critical to help tie DEI to the overall business strategy because they're living and breathing the business on a day-to-day basis, but they're essentially ambassadors of our agenda who help embed our DEI agenda messages and actions into their regular business cadence. Absolutely, Marvin. I 100% agree with that. It's so critical. And I think about relationships, especially if you don't have a relationship with someone, it's very difficult to provide a level of counseling, coaching, guidance if there is no established foundation. So thank you for that. Moving along, many workers are feeling exhausted, stretched thin, and burned out as we race closer to the end of the year. How can companies elevate self-care well-being to be equally as important as driving business results? So Audra, I'm a fervent believer that when you treat your people well, they will treat you well. And that includes driving business results. So put another way, people performance drives business performance. And I would challenge any leader with influence listening to this podcast to ask themselves, does my business follow this philosophy? Does my CEO believe this? And if not, I encourage them to have a challenging discussion with their CEO or C-suite. Now, very tactically, studies have shown that managers arguably have the most impactful role when it comes to supporting the self-care and well-being of their team members. 
One approach that companies can take is to include a well-being question on their engagement or pulse survey so that managers at least have a starting point to see where their employees are falling related to that question. However, I also say, and I caution to not just focus on engagement survey results because well-being can change very quickly based on the number of factors. So just take 2020 as an example. Who could have predicted COVID and the killing of George Floyd? And what I would propose is think about a black professional getting an engagement survey on January 1st of 2020. And if that's the only time that you pulsed that black employee, I can almost guarantee that their experience would have been different after George Floyd's killing and potentially after COVID, depending on the impact on them or their families. So I think it's really important for people leaders to also regularly and much more casually individually ask their team members how they're doing and open themselves up to what comes back from their employees. And our manager's job, I think one of the most important jobs the manager plays is to listen to their employees and to help them be successful, which includes making sure their employees have a very high state of well-being. And studies have shown that just engaging in that dialogue Helping employees feel heard and supported has a positive impact on their well-being. Oh, my goodness. So absolutely, Marvin. I 100% agree with you on the well-being piece. It's a matter of time, but I also think it's a matter of psychological safety. If you don't have a culture that the employee feels psychologically safe to share their well-being concerns, I think that it's really hard to get to the root cause of what's causing the issues and and offer the care and support we need as leaders to support them. So excellent uh, response on that. So, Marvin, one last question I'd love to ask our guests. What do you want your legacy to be that your family remembers the most? I really love this question, by the way, Audra. So the first thing when I heard your question around my legacy that my family remembers the most is I've learned over the years, both personally and in speaking to folks in various communities, especially the LGBTQ plus community, is that family can be both by blood as well as chosen. And in the LGBTQ plus community, unfortunately, there are a number of folks who their family is not as connected to them or maybe disowns them. And so folks create instead a chosen group of very loving people in their lives who are their chosen family. I celebrate however folks define their family. Now that said, I want my legacy to be that I lived a life of integrity, of openness, and challenging norms that ultimately made people's lives better and easier. And looking back, this has really been the driving force for my entire career. I'd call it my personal purpose. And it actually aligns really well to PPG's purpose, which is to protect and beautify the world. Now, if I think deep down, I think everybody wants to leave a positive mark on the world, and it can take a number of forms. And if our listeners haven't done so yet, I'd encourage them to think about their personal purpose, to write it on a piece of paper that they look at every day, and to think about what they can do each day to bring that purpose to life, because I promise that will have a positive impact on them and on others. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Marvin Mendoza. Muchas gracias, amigo. Audra, this has been such a pleasure. I absolutely love connecting with you, and I look forward to continuing the dialogue and the good work together.
Thank you again, Marvin. What wonderful insights you brought today to our listeners. Thank you, Floss, my phenomenal co-host, for another superb conversation. Also want to give a big thank you to our thousands of global listeners in 60-plus countries. We so appreciate your support. In the words of Bono, to be one, to be united is a great thing, but to respect the right to be different is maybe even greater. Remember, when you celebrate diversity, equity, and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word and tag our hashtag diversity deep dive podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged, working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the diversity deep dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in the world, your workplace and community. Thank you.